0: This is MuseCast14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura.
1: And I'm your co-host, Demi.
0: And we're coming to you with less than a week left until the initial release of Patch 4.0, the new expansion, Stormblood.
1: Isn't that exciting?
0: (laughs) It's very exciting. So in order to properly jump on the hype train, we're going to be covering
1: the final city-state of Eorzea, Alamigo! Yay! Yeah, we had planned on doing a Stormblood-related sort of episode block in which we discuss both Alamigo and Stormblood. So before Stormblood starts, we're going to go talk a little bit about Alamigo, what its history is like, what its culture is like, and basically what little we know about it before we actually get to go there firsthand. But to do that, we have a guest on today. So joining us is Eorzea's reference librarian and lore mom, Soundsi.
2: Hi everybody.
0: So why don't you introduce yourself a bit to our listeners who might not be familiar.
2: I'm Saunsi Merc. I'm on the Balmung server. I play an Alamegan Makote, who's also a maelstrom captain. Most people probably know me from my lore work. Uh, I run Merc Menagerie on Tumblr. And I also show up on the Heidelin role players and sometimes the official forums, but I usually leave that to Moose. We're really
0: glad to have you joining us today.
2: I'm glad to be here.
0: So when we talk about Alamigo, its culture and society, and what shapes the lives of the people that hail from there, I would definitely say it's a place that's been heavily influenced by its history.
2: I would definitely agree with that. It was definitely a country forged through conflict and war. And it came about after probably one of the biggest wars in uh, Eorzean history, the War of the Magi.
0: Yeah, things were so bad in Eorzea, in the cities that were involved in this conflict, that people actually had to take refuge in a region, Giribania, which is normally not too hospitable. It's rocky, mountainous, infertile, nothing grows there. But... There were a lot of people that just had to flee.
2: During the Six Umbro Calamity, we had the rain come down, summoned by the Elementals, caused by the War of the Magi. And the water levels just started to rise, started flooding cities. Refugees just had to pick up and start moving to a higher ground. And they eventually came to where we know Alamigo today, in Garibania.
0: Yeah. And even though there were a number of different races that started to occupy this land, most notably, there were here Midlanders, which eventually kind of evolved through a very rapid process of natural selection that goes much faster than in the real world into the clan we know as the Highlanders, the people we most associate with El Migo today.
1: Yeah, so here we end up seeing the landscape sort of changing the people very, very quickly. And somewhat to that extent, the landscape also shaped the economy of the area because they didn't have the natural resources that places like gridania might have they didn't really have a whole lot of things to to really sell but because of their location they were able to collect taxes on their borders and trade routes when people tried to get to and from the near and the far east and that that i think really allowed Giribania and Alamigo to survive over the years.
0: Yeah, they're right on the border with Ozabard And not only did they make a notable part of their income from trade route tolls and taxations, because they were at this crossroads that ended up putting them in a place where they constantly had to defend their own borders. Add that to the fact that it's a very inhospitable land in which you have various clans always fighting for those scarce resources. It evolved into basically a very warlike culture where in one way or another, they're always fighting physically for survival. Of course, over time, this produced the fighting disciplines we know today as the monk and the Fists of Ralgar, of course, but also one of the new jobs appearing in Stormblood, the Red Mage, which was basically a hodgepodge discipline combining the black magic and white magic coming from Amdaporn Mok, because, well, when both Amdapori white mages and Maki black mages basically had to run away into the mountains... They were like, well, I guess we'll be friends now. <laughs> and their knowledge is kind of mixed and became something new.
1: Yeah, I find it sort of interesting because you mentioned that the fighting style of the monk developed in Amigo, That the monk's weapons are sort of minimalistic. You don't really have a sword and a shield. And it sort of reflects the lack of natural resources. You don't have very many things to perhaps shape weapons with. But what you end up with is a sort of brownie-type warrior. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what Alamegan sort of became known as. Yeah.
0: When you're in a climate where you really need a great deal of physical strength to survive, this fighting prowess became one of their biggest cultural values. And that, and the fact that they were constantly at war, and they actually started to make another part of their income by being sellswords for the rest of Eorzea. So they basically became known as the brawn of the realm. On one hand, they're respected as warriors. On the one hand, they're kind of dismissed as they're just a bunch of meatheads. They're uncivilized. They're brutish, warmongering. Even in previous eras, these ideas about Alamegans had started to perpetuate in the rest of Eorzea.
2: They really did. And I think a lot of that comes from if you had a problem and you needed sellswords and mercenaries, and someone to take care of that problem. You went to Alamigo. They had the toughest warriors, they had people who shaved off their eyebrows, filed their teeth, were constantly fighting with each other, all the different clans from people invading from the north. Uh, and see so you see a lot of that, especially in Ulda. Ulda hired them all kinds of times to deal with whatever problems. Uh, Sildi, the zombies that were underneath the Uldan aqueducts, uh, we can still see them out in Thanaland today. Ulda called upon Alamegans to deal with that problem. Charlean called them to deal with all of the pests out in Dravania when they built that colony. So they were the go-to people for if you had a problem, this is who you call. But other than that, they didn't really cause too many problems with the rest of the realm. They just kind of stuck with themselves and, hey, if I need to go past them, I'm going to have to pay this toll because otherwise they're going to hurt me and just take my luggage as collateral.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but then those sneaky sailors in Limsa Laminsa and those greedy traders in Ulda teamed up to say, hmm, well, if we want to trade with the East, And Alamigo charges these taxes to go over these land routes. Why don't we just sail there instead?
2: They just ruin everything, don't they?
0: Those darn
1: lemons and zinwudans.
0: Yeah. So the economy kind of changed when Trade to the East from Eorzea started to go more over sea routes than land routes. And suddenly they don't have very much tax income anymore. And they kind of, yeah, they fell on hard times. Basically, like, you know, a large part of their economy collapsed
2: it really ruined their economy just because even if you have these traders coming up to the north through your country, they have to stop there. So then you get a little bit of their trade uh, on top of these people coming to and from the east. So they lose out on imports and they lose out on just toll money. And so that really started to hurt them, especially in terms of food.
0: Man, you need food, kind of.
2: Especially in (laughs) Garabania.
1: Food is recommended.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've got to import it. And at the same time, they probably feel like the other city-states are to blame. And El Amigo got unfairly screwed over. Like, this is how they get repaid for constantly defending the border of Eorzea against invaders from Ilsebard? It's easy to feel t- betrayed in that scenario.
1: And I imagine, as a civilization, like, if you have this sort of depression and you don't have much of a fallback plan to do anything with, you're sort of going to need to expand, and that's what happened. That's really what happened, or what they tried to accomplish, anyway.
0: Yeah, with nothing to fall back on, except their old warlike ways, they actually decided, you know what, we're gonna have to go invade Gridania. And thus the Autumn War happened. And there's a lot of detail in history in the Autumn War, which is very fascinating, but we won't go into today. But suffice it to say that the after effects were not good, because the early incarnation of the Eorazine Alliance pushed them back, defeated. So not only did they lose, They were terribly embarrassed and basically put in a worse position than even before.
2: After the Autumn War ended, the nation that was probably hardest hit was Alamigo, after Gridania. Just because the treaty that they were forced to sign to the Eorzean Alliance was just brutal to their economy, their way of life, and it put them in a worse spot than they were before. They were told to drastically reduce their high road tolls. It was part of their terms of surrender was basically Uldoc could use their land route that they'd been using years before, before they decided to go to the sea routes, for practically nothing. And that definitely hurt an already really hurt economy. And it kind of pushed the power of Alamigo's king kind of to the wayside. They started losing their power after this, just because they had nothing to fall back on. They had no coffers, they had no warriors anymore. It was just a bad time for them.
0: Yeah. So, Soundsy, we know that you're part of a link shell on Balmung centered around the Alamegan resistance. And as part of our research, we took a look at their roleplay FAQ, which gives some help and tips on developing an Alamegan resistance character. And one of the things that they postulate is that much of the animosity and discrimination against Alamegans in different parts of Aerozia currently comes from this perpetuating stereotype after the autumn war. like, oh man, those are the people that attacked us unprovoked.
2: That is a really common kind of misconception that I've been trying to kind of push to the wayside. There are individuals who might feel, hey, my grandfather fought in the Alamigo <laughs> or, you know, in the autumn war with Alamigo, or this really hurt Grianya. But this isn't shown in any NPC dialogue. It's not shown in any quest. There are no people in the world currently that were alive besides Asumiyan. There wasn't anybody in-game that says something like, Oh, hey, I don't like those people. They're conquerors. They're, you know, they attacked us unprovoked. Nobody nobody mentions the Autumn War. What they do talk about is how all Amigans flooded into the nation after the fact they talk about the economic crisis that Alamegans, you know, have been suffering for years and just kind of brought with them to the other city states. So I think it has more to do with current events than something that happened 108 years ago.
0: Interesting. And that's particularly prevalent in Olda, of course, because Thanaland was the place that got the largest influx of Alamegan refugees. Even though Gardani is the closest nation, I kind of feel like They weren't as welcome there, either because of the Autumn War or because of the Elementals, who are not really too generous when it comes to allowing people to live there.
2: That was definitely the case. Uh, I mean, we've seen how close Alamigo is to Gridania. You can go to the East Shroud and you can see the borderline. That's Belsar's Wall right there. So when Alamigans fled from Alamigo, they first came to the Shroud and they were hoping, hey... You know, can you offer us any protection? Because your nation is next. <laughs> we were the, we were the, your protectors for all these years, 400 plus years. But now you're going to have to be the front lines. And we're willing to help you if you'll help us. And Gradania kind of helped them. There was a group of wood whalers who were like, okay, we will definitely aid your resistance. But then the Elementals said, no, you can't stay here. They judge people as they come across their border by their spirit and their heart and what their what the elementals believe that they can provide for the forest if they would be a good fit for the peace and prosperity of the forest and you have all these alamigans who are full of hatred and vengeance and all these awful emotions from just losing their homeland and the elementals don't want that there so they say no you have to pack up and leave and so these alamigans were forced to push on and next some of them went to Carthus some of them kept trying to stay in Gridania, some of them went back to El Amigo, uh, but most of them, you're right, went to Thanalan and Uldah.
0: Not that there was too much that Uldah could offer them. Basically, they either kind of hole up in little El Amigo and simmer their hatred, or they end up in as beggars in Pearl Lane, and the few employment opportunities that they're given are pretty dodgy from people like Talegi Atalegi.
1: It's sort of exploitation of the refugees, really.
2: There's definitely a lot of exploitation that happens in Uldah when they finally arrive. Uh, They're first told that, no, we're not going to offer you any sanctuary. Uh, That was the syndicate decision. And Nanamo kind of overturned that a little bit. And they say, well, you can stay in the city, but... We're not promising you anything, but it's the syndicate that controls all of the jobs. So Nanamo said, oh, we'll we'll let you stay here. You know, we'll provide for you a little bit. But then all of the businesses, all of the monetarists are just saying, no, we're not going to do that. So they didn't hire all The only places that really did were pillow houses, which are whorehouses, and then maybe the gambling halls and eventually the Colosseum, though it took a lot of work to get those jobs, eventually.
1: And I'm sure the Uldans probably feel like they took the Alamegans derbs. took the jobs er, er, that Uldan should have gotten, fist. and so... <laughs> they still think that the Alamegans like, put them in a worse situation than they are now. At the same time, the Alamegan refugees are still getting some sort of aid, more in the form of like monetary donations from the Sultana and the Immortal Flames and things like that. But because of those syndicate businesses, the money doesn't really help them with regards to their quality of life at all. And so Uldah's really bleeding money into this resistance effort, which I'm sure a lot of people do not like.
2: Well, that's definitely true. They do not like that one bit. Uh, you have to remember, though that the Immortal Flames is very recent. It was founded only five years ago, and Roban hadn't really made that huge push to make a large part of that standing army out of Alamegan soldiers, which was more another thing that was because of monetarists refusing to play ball. So for that first 15 years or so, they didn't have a champion, really, besides the Sultana saying, okay, we'll give you a place to stay. So, they didn't have a standing army led by an Alamegan to be like, okay, we'll give you food and supplies and all this other stuff. So, they really had to fend for themselves, which obviously they weren't really able to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Another positive recent development, though, is that you find out when good old Godbert Manderville creates the Gold Saucer, he also employs a lot of refugees.
2: Bless Manderville and Manderville.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, even though we're not really sure if Godbert is on the monetarist side or on the royalist side, it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, there are very few people that really care.
1: I guess, long story short of this, even though there are some positive developments that have happened recently, it does seem like there would be reason, like I can understand. Why some of the Alamegans would hold a little bit, or maybe more, of hostility towards the Oldans and maybe in some way the Gridanians for not even offering them a place to stay.
0: Yeah, but that really doesn't make their relations any better. Then the natives of those cities are just going to resent them more. That's true. So basically, for the most part, if you're an Alamegan and Eorzea, life sucks.
1: It's always seemed to have sucked for them. I, I feel really bad for those Alamegans. <laughs> I really do. I
2: did too. That's actually one of the reasons I wanted to make an Alamegan character. And even more than that, really one of the reasons I got into the lore of this game to start off with, uh, to take this on a little side road. The Alamegans were a much bigger part of the 1.0 storyline. Uh, they were in the main story quest. But they also showed up, really, when you didn't expect them in class quests and all this other stuff, you would just get snippets of, hey, there's a group of Alamegans living here, and they're talking about their conditions in Gridania, or they're talking about their conditions in Limsa. They're talking about all this hatred that they have towards Ulda because of these things that they're not being allowed to do. And a lot of their stuff is just this hopelessness they're looking for that one victory that one victory a day that they're just not getting and i was like i really want to play a character like this who has endured this kind of stuff and that's that's really where i i came up with my character and really why i pushed for the resistance
0: that is awesome so let's talk a bit about the current state of affairs not only of the Alamegan diaspora, but the city-state itself, which is still around, under the control of the Garlean Empire.
1: Following the downfall of the King of Ruin of Alamego, the Garleans were able to take advantage of that chaos, some would argue, and really take it on as a Garlean territory. So, unfortunately, I mean, it's still there, obviously. There are still Alamegans who remember a time, even, before Alamigo is under garlean control but we're in a very very strange state in which you have some citizens who have been there for a while under garlean rule and some people who knew a time when alamigo was free that said though it does seem like some of the values from times before have persisted even now and so we're expecting that some of those values something like perhaps might military might being seen as a good thing are still around. They're still very part of this core Alamigan society, even as a Garlean territory.
0: Oh yeah. We already know that there are people within the territory of El Amigo who have conflicting ideas and loyalties as to whether Garlean rule is a bad thing or a good thing even. But I can't help but draw the comparison between the two countries. Because when we did our Garlemald episode, we almost kind of play devil's advocate by looking at the history of the garlean republic and how hard things were at the beginning for them northern ilsebard is also a really inhospitable infertile land and they too took to invading their neighbors one would argue over a desperate need to ensure their own survival and that makes them seem a little bit sympathetic and i can't help but think that the main difference between el amigo and garlebald is that Garlemald succeeded, and Alamigo failed.
1: Also, I think because Garlemald was able to develop technology because of the ceruleum deposits in that land, that sort of helps a little bit too.
0: Yeah, they had one natural resource.
1: (laughs) They had one! Alamigo didn't really have anything, so (laughs) there's an advantage there.
0: Yeah, but you have to think that if Alamigo was supposed to be this place, where physical prowess and military might is such an esteemed cultural value, wouldn't there be a significant number of people that admire Garlemald, or respect them for being able to invade? Almost like might is right. Like- I guess you have a point there. Like they're worthy of admiration.
1: Or at least least some sort of respect.
0: Yeah. It's easy to see them as the good guys just because they're the strong guys, if you think that strong and good are the same thing.
1: So, as a result, I really think that as we go into Stormblood, we're going to see that value still exalted in Alamegan society. You know, it's- it's been a constant with both Garlemald and Alamego, so who's to say that it- it hasn't carried over?
0: For sure. However, if you don't agree with Garlean rule...
2: Things are going to end very badly for you. Yeah, (laughs) Which is where I think a lot of Alamegan are on that spectrum. Because that takeover was so very hostile, they were fighting for so long to defend their lands from the Garleans, and then they basically all let it slip away, and they got taken over, enslaved, beaten. The conditions... Some of them I don't even really want to get into on this podcast are just terrible for them. They didn't march in as saviors. A lot of, a lot, I see that a lot, that Garlamal is kind of hailed as saviors to take care of their monarchy that was just in shambles. And that wasn't really the case. They came in and they cleansed the place with fire. Uh, one of NPC describes Alamigo's walls as scarred and scorched. And they've been that way for a decade. So on the one hand, there might be some Alamegans who are kind of young, uh, who were kind of driven the way of, hey, Garlemald is strong. Hey, Garlemald has structure. They have all of these things that we once had. had. They had military might. And they might align themselves that way. But a lot of other ones looked around them and they saw the suffering that Alamigo was going under because of Garlemald's takeover.
0: And thus, you have the Alamegan resistance, both inside and outside the territory.
1: Yeah, you have a good number of people, not everybody of course, but there's a good amount of people who want to take Alamigo back from the Garleans. And that's that's what the Alamigan resistance really is at this point.
0: Yeah. It's certainly not universal. Not every Elamigan NPC you see hanging around Eorzea is part of the Alliance. There are certainly lots of folks that just kind of want to make the best of their current situation, move on, whether they think it's hopeless, or they think it's a waste of time. As Ilberd so famously pointed out, a lot of Elamigans in Eorzea have just lost hope and given up, and he was not too fond of that. But it's easy to see why they would want to be pragmatic about the situation, whereas the Resistance is, in many ways, an idealistic thing.
2: It really is. It's something that, when I looked at it, really, it's heartbreaking, because you can see the Resistance trying for so many years. Uh, In 1.0 is 15 years, now it's 20 years. Who knows what we're going on when Stormblood comes? But they've been trying over and over and over again. And if you look at their attempts, the things that they think will save them you it's almost hard to watch uh, they try they try to steal one airship and use that to blast Garlemald out of alamigo or Aww. yeah they just it's one airship and it's a bunch of farmers it's like six or seven alamigan soldiers escape from behind the wall they come down into Eorzea they meet with the very small resistance here and they're like we're gonna steal an airship and we've got the plans for it we've got uh, we know where the Garleans are going to keep it we're gonna steal it and we're gonna use that to drive Garlemald out and of course they fail uh, they fail miserably uh, Gaius slays half of them and we just have to sit there and watch it and it's really, it's a hopeless, but it's not the only one. There's, uh, Widergelt, the monk NPC. He says, I need one person to fight with me to unlock their chakra. He thinks he's going to take on all of Amigo by himself because he's unlocked the seventh chakra. And I was just like, no, <laughs> you you can't. menphilia even says it, um... She's like, even these people who claim to understand the the odds that they're up against just fail in the face of Garlimald. like there's there's nothing that we can do. Alamigo used to be our strongest nation, and now it's just you know five people trying to steal an airship, you know because they're at, they're still after that one victory to just give the p- these people hope and they don't have it. I the, it's 20 years, they've just given up by now most of them a lot of them i think uh some of them have just gone gone on they're they're in other city states they're in limsa laminsa you know fishing or they're in kurthas doing mining stuff as we saw in heaven's ward there's just a small fraction of people who are left still fighting this fight for a home that they can barely remember and i I, it's it's almost tragic
0: (laughs) it really is like you really it really tugs at your heartstrings You feel really bad for them. And I too looked at that 1.0 cutscene and you just, you cringe. It's so hard to watch. But that's the situation that they're in. They're in between a rock and a hard place. They join the resistance, which might feel right morally and emotionally, but is generally seen as hopeless. Or they give up and just try to make the best of things. But even that's not easy.
2: It almost feels easier to give up and join Garlemald, which I think is what a lot of Alamegans that we'll find inside of the city have done. If you read about the conditions that they're in, they're whipped every day, some of them are forced to like kill daily. There's all kinds of mutilation that they're put through. It's just like, a lot of them, I I can't blame them for giving up or their children are taken from them and raised up in Garlemald and kind of brainwashed into a Garlean ideology that these people in the South are bad because they believe things. They believe in, you know, hope and religion and all these unnecessary things. And we need to squash that because it's actually becoming harmful to us. And so you get these children who are coming back to Alamigo and they believe in this Garlean ideology and they see these people who are still resisting and they're just... Ragged. Like, you, you know, you don't want to look at them. They're just that bad off.
0: Wow. Wow. It's even worse than I thought. Even listening to this is like, oh
1: man, it punches you in the feels. I'm just speechless. Like, I can't imagine, at least I can't imagine role playing as an All character, especially if somebody were planning on role playing as an All living in All Amigo. How tough would that be?
2: I couldn't put my character through that. I've put my character through a lot of terrible things, but even I had her get out of All Amigo. The picture that it paints is just really that bad. I mean, there, there are people, there's one instance, and I guess I can go over, I, I won't go over the whole thing, because the whole story is just, uh, it's terrible, it's heart wrenching. Um, but there's a little side in PC that shows up in the Realm Reborn main story quest whose family were there during the fall were forced to remain this particular npc was meant to do really hard labor he was put in a slave camp and he was forced to fortify alamigo build the Belsar's wall and his family kind of fared a little worse and when they tried to escape they got caught and rather than be brought back they they jumped they committed suicide. They would rather not go back to that city. That's how bad their conditions were.
0: I remember that guy. He's in Mordona.
2: Yes, he's sitting in Mordona. That story hit me so hard uh, when I read it in A Realm Reborn. Uh, because by this point, I was I was really entrenched with my own character, who was from Alamico, who fled when she was a child uh, after the fall. And I was... I was just like, wow, you know, if she had stayed, you know, if her parents had stayed behind, if, if any of that, and I'm just, I couldn't imagine putting my character through that. But there there are definitely some that I know on at least Belmung server who uh, fled much later or grew up in Garlean rule and were Alameca and, and now they're kind of a mix of both.
0: Wow, yeah, I can't even imagine that. It's really heavy angsty shit.
2: Welcome to Stormblood. Please look forward (laughs) to it. Yes, but... But... Things
0: are kinda turning around.
1: We hope. It seems like they will turn around.
2: I'm worried, and I won't jinx myself by saying they're turning around, but hopefully, (laughs) at least now, after 20 years, the Resistance has some help. So that is a turning point.
1: Even if it took somebody trying to summon a primal and getting the grand companies wrapped up in this, at least there will be some sort of effort.
0: Yeah. Too bad he did such a sloppy job of it.
1: (laughs) By the way, and and you you will have heard this this by now, but (laughs) but I am going to be replacing any time that I say the word (laughs) sloppy or anybody else says it. Um, I'm going to be placing that one little clip that everybody loves so very much from Ilbert over top of it. So, yeah, enjoy this episode and all of its (laughs) sloppiness.
2: I can't.
0: (laughs) I'm imagining it in
1: my head as you say it.
2: (laughs) I'm picturing the face, and it's causing me to laugh.
1: (laughs) Just imagine our, our heads turn into that same face every time we say it. So while we're on this note, let's move on and talk about some of the people who have helped to make All Amiga what it is and have sort of led us to where Stormblood is going to pick up here. Let's begin with the person who says sloppy and talk about Ilverd. Let's let's talk about Ilverd here.
0: So when we first meet Ilverd, he's essentially an All Amigan sellsword. And we're really desperate for people to join the Crystal Braves. So we're like, yeah, you're hired. And he actually becomes the top guy, the captain. And then very shortly after that, we realize, oh, also, I'm totally bros with Ralvan. Hey, old buddy. And then they have that conversation in the Flames headquarters. When we're looking for the Ivy, the spy within the Flames. And when he helps us catch her, he really seems like a pretty good guy. He even says things like, I would rather cut off my arm than betray a friend.
1: Oh man.
2: <laughs> Foreshadowing.
0: <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. But as things fall apart with the Crystal Braves. One of the problems, of course, was that a lot of the money came from the monitorists. So we find out that Lolorito essentially bought out Ilberd, and that he wasn't such a nice guy after all. That the only thing he really cared about at the end of the day was liberating Alamigo. And also, actually, he hates (laughs) Raubon. And he's a huge antagonist at the end of 2.55. And it's actually kind of surprising the first time you watch it when all of a sudden Raubon goes to attack Lolorito. And who defends him? Oh, it's Little Bird. And he does and says all these things to deliberately antagonize Raubon to get him into such a state of rage that he forgets how to fight and his sword skills become kind of sloppy. And then, whoop, there goes his arm. And then he's actually like, hey, remember that time I said we were bros? Actually, we're not bros. (laughs) Well, Raubon gets put in jail. For a time, Ilbert is still working for Lolorito. But the whole plot gets uncovered by Dulala. But before we go wake up Nanamo, we have to get Raubon out of jail. And actually, the thing that ended up coming between Lolorito and Ilbert was one that Ilbert was too much of a loose cannon. He was already kind of going off the deep end and Lolorito didn't think it was a good idea to execute Raubon, but Ilbert is just like, no, I want that guy dead and goes against Lolorito's wishes. Thus, we got to go into Halitali and save him. We fight with him, Laurentius and Hase. And before he escapes in a puff of smoke, says a really nice line. There's nothing I would not do to see El Amigo restored. Nothing. And he makes good on that promise later by pulling off some pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> but after we don't hear from him for a while, this mysterious figure pops up called the Griffin, who's making rousing speeches in Little Alamigo about a mysterious power that will lay Garlamald low. Hmm. And I would say that most of the fan base, when they saw the Griffin, was like, it's Elberd. I mean, there were some competing theories, but I think Ilverd was the most likely candidate. Oh, look, it's time to do Belsar's Wall. It's Ilverd. We're so surprised.
2: The delivery was sloppy.
0: Ugh. So, so sloppy.
1: So, Ilverd, as I said before, tried to summon a primal. He tried to summon Shinryu and was successful until, of course, it got killed by Omega. But... It was an attempt to start another calamity in order to get Alamigo back. Now, this, I would argue, was a better coordinated effort than something like the whole thing with, like, the seven farmers or six farmers trying to steal an airship. It was a pretty grand-scale sort of thing. You know, he had coordinated all of these people to dress up as Grand Company soldiers, and... He did it not with the intent of having them defeat Garlemald, but with the intent of having them die, and then using that all that sort of rage as they died in order to summon the primal and start this sort of thing, sort of like what we saw um in the events of a realm reborn, and of course this this plan, even though it was pretty well coordinated, it still was well in some ways
0: sloppy, sloppy. <laughs> you're talking so positively about this thing that was a literal mass slaughter it of was innocent no it was people. terrible
1: like I, i'm not going to lie about <laughs> no. that. that it was absolutely terrible it might just be the the sort of tone that my voice tends to take it was <laughs> it was a terrible event but the the warrior of light of course was able to defeat ilbert and then through popolimo's efforts he was able to contain that primal and why some more time for the Alliance and, and the Scions to be able to figure out how to deal with this? So, you know, it, it was a good effort, um, but Ilbert, Ilbert's extent that he was willing to go to was sort of reflective of some people who are wanting to see Al Amigo returned to what some would argue as its true leaders he would stop at nothing. He would trigger a calamity, and maybe end up destroying everything else so that he could get Alamigo back. That's how desperate some of these people are. And I feel like Ilbert's motivation, he's been stewing in all this rage as his friend, once friend I suppose, Rao Bon, seemed to be doing nothing in helping, at least militarily, the Alamigan resistance. There's no Big army that's going to go stop the Garlands, or there wasn't, until he decided to disguise himself as the Griffin. So he's just been stewing and stewing, and even Lolo Rito ended up dropping him. You know, it's it's really bad, but like at the same time, it sort of shows how desperate these people are.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, even compared to the rest of the Alamegan resistance, Ilbert was an extreme extreme ex- Ilbert. Yeah. Ilbert was an extremist, a serious extremist.
1: It's like there, there's probably some other people who would do something similar to that. I think Ilbert was in a position where he could do that. Like he knew he had the charisma, he had the experience in the Crystal Braves, and so, you know, I, I think he was able to do that. But I, I would not be surprised if there were people who would do something similar.
2: And there have been, actually. Uh, I bring this up to bring up uh, Wilred, if anybody remembers him. He was the... Rip.
0: I remember. Remember Wilred.
2: Remember (laughs) Wilred. Rest in peace. He was killed by Ilbert, so this is a great segue. Uh, But originally, in the Aroma Born storyline, he was... He consorted with an Ashian who said, hey, let me teach you how to summon Ral'gir and take back your homeland. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. And then of course, you know, it's, it's four kids going into the middle of Amal'ja territory once more with this harebrained scheme to take back Al'Amigo with something that's so far-fetched it won't work. So four kids run into the middle of Amal'ja territory to steal a bunch of crystals and summon Ralgar. Uh, Because an Ascian told them to. And that obviously didn't pan out, and the Warrior of Light saves the day. And then he just kind of disappears and told the Crystal Braves. Uh, Gundabald has a really nice thing to say to him, which broke my heart. uh, When I went back and was reading it, uh, because I knew what was coming for him... Gundabald says, our home may be lost to us, but it takes more than stones and mortar to define who we are. No matter where we may be, Alamigo lives on within us all. It is for you to decide what to make of this legacy. And that's the last time we actually see Willred before he joins the Crystal Braves and then uh, tragically is found dead uh, after he discovers Ilbert's kind of Coop within the Crystal Braves, so it's not the first time that Ashians have kind of preyed on this desperation. We we keep seeing that throughout the storyline. You know, they went to the Sog and they went to the Beast Tribes and taught them how to summon Primals. Now they're teaching the Alamegans because a lot of people consider them little better. Uh, they're desperate. Nobody likes them. They're cast out of all the cities. They just kind of live in the wilds. So the Ashians are like, okay, we'll teach you how to summon your god, and then we see Ilbert talking to an Ashian, and he's like, here's a great power source. Here's some dragon eyes that I got for you. <laughs> <laughs> Use these to take back all amigo. And Ilbert's like, okay, I can do that. I'm also going to kill everyone.
0: <laughs> oh man. I really think that the moment that you realize that Ilbert killed Wilred, who was by all intents and purposes, a fierce and passionate young resistance fighter, From Little Alamigo, you really realize that Elbert has gone off the deep end.
2: Oh, he's got nothing left to lose. He lost his family in the Calamity. He lost his best friend, Raban. He feels like his people aren't after Alamigo anymore. They're not, they're dispassionate. So I've, he really has nothing. And so I, I don't think he really cares for the lives of the people who followed under him. That's why he was able to just kill them so easily for his own purpose and able to take his own life. Because uh, he willingly cast himself off to summon that primal. And yeah, there's no extent to what Ilbert would do to spark this war and cause collateral damage on all sides. Because he feels like everyone deserves it. Everyone shares in that blame uh, for not helping him, not helping his people, his people giving up on their home.
0: Sheesh, what a tragic story. Now, there are several characters we want to cover eventually in our All Amigo coverage, but with Stormblood coming up so soon, it might be best to save those for the next episode after we know a little bit more about their fate. But Sansi brought to our attention another beloved character from 1.0 that we wanted to be able to shed some light on.
2: That's right. I wanted to talk about one of my favorite characters. Who happens to be an Alamegan hero, Jamoldva the Hellfire Phoenix. Jamoldva was a Makote gladiator, who was a member of the resistance when Alamego first fell. She came to Ulda. She saw a bunch of her resistance friends and refugees who were outside the castle walls. You know, couldn't get in, couldn't find jobs, were starving, and getting diseases and all this other stuff. And she takes what Alamegans have been doing for centuries, which is fighting, which is brawling and knocking each other senseless for sport. And she goes, there's a coliseum right here. Fund me so I can buy a slot to get in and I will win you your money back. And that's what she ends up doing. She actually delivers on her promise, which I think. And we've talked a little bit. We've touched on a little bit uh, of people not feeling like Raban delivered on a lot of his promises, or they had a lot of expectations for Raban, and he didn't really do much in the public eye for his his own people. And I think a lot of this opinion comes from Jamoldva. Who actually went into the Coliseum, she was undefeated, and was able to actually take an old on-centric entertainment and turn it into a place where people could go and see an all and be like, she's awesome. These people weren't even concerned that she was all It was just, hey, she's destroying everyone and she's amazing. Let cut- you have to come see her. Uh, The Colosseum, the Gladiators Guild, is saying these were the biggest crowds we've ever had to date. And the Colosseum really fell into kind of depression after she eventually left. uh, When she was put against the son of a syndicate member, his name was Grindfar the Great. He shows up in A Realm Reborn as the Bronze Bull. He changes his name a little bit, but he's still there. But he comes up, and he's the old-on favorite. He's the son of a syndicate member. Everyone respects him. He's going to put this Alamegan in her place, and it's going to be the fight of the century. And it kind of was, because all of the Alamegans turned out to cheer on their champion because she had been almost single-handedly funding this early resistance. All of her winnings were going to the resistance for food and supplies, weapons, and all this other stuff. She was really doing something. She was a real hero. And then they get in a fight and the crowd kind of turns violent like it does at hockey games and football games and all this. The crowd starts getting really, really rowdy. The Alamegans start getting antsy because the fight just doesn't look like it's going to go well the oldons start threatening the alamigans like if you defeat our hero we're gonna kill you because we don't like you anyways they don't like you in the city you shouldn't be here in the first place go back to where you came from you know all this awful stuff and so jamulva's hearing this roaring above her she's looking up and seeing you know fights breaking out in the crowd all of the Gladiator Guild people are looking around like, oh God, you know, they're going to tear the Colosseum down. And so Jamuldva throws her own fight. She lets Grindfarer take her down and he stands up and he wins. And Jamolva suffers this really horrible blow to make, you know, her loss convincing. And the crowd is stunned. They avoid the violence because all the Alamigans are just like, oh God, we just lost all of our money, we just wa- lost our cash cow. And all the Uldans are just happy and, you know, yay, we won, we didn't lose all of our houses that we bet on this fight. And so Jamulfa ends up be- having to be dragged away and secreted out of the city, because all of the I- Alamegans think that Uldah bought her out, and that's why she threw the fight. And so she was labeled a traitor. And because of this, Grindfar the Great came back after he got Jamoldva to safety and him and the gladiator kind of guild leader at the time went to the Alamegans and said, hey, this is what happened. We're really sorry. This is what Jamoldva did for you. Here's all of our winnings and we are now going to make it so that Alamegans from now on will be able to participate in coliseum matches for free. We will give you employment. And that was a real turning point. In the Alamegan situation, the cr- refugee crisis of Ul'dah, and so you have a lot of that respect, and that's something that Raban fought for eleven, you know, eleven years as a prisoner there. He got all this money, but then he just kind of up and left after the fact, and I think that's where a lot of that hatred comes from, is because he didn't really do anything publicly to help his own cause. And that's, that's why I love this character. She does show up in A Realm Reborn under a different name. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that they bring her back for Stormblood. Because I think she'd be a great addition or cameo.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I was honestly riveted by that story.
1: As was I. I did not know anything about this character. But I think I think she has contributed a lot to like where, where the Alliance city-states are today.
0: Yeah, it's a really important piece of history, almost one of those folks that has a huge influence, yet whose name isn't remembered. And I can't help but think, yeah, she was doing something very public for the Resistance, but you could argue that Raubon choosing to use the money to get on the Syndicate and get on the Emerald Flames is an equal or greater contribution. But if we start debating these things, we're going to be here forever.
2: That's true. Next episode... (laughs)
0: Yeah, that concludes part one of Alamigo, and I'm sure we're going to have a whole ton to talk about next time. But we've got a good basis on which to go into Stormblood. We know about the history, we know about the state of things now, and it only makes me that much more excited to find out what lies up next.
1: Same here. Honestly, I was not very hyped for Stormblood, but after doing this episode, I'm very excited. Get on the hype train, toot toot. Choo choo.
2: (laughs) Please look forward to it. (laughs)
1: And now,
0: it's time for us to share our stories.
1: Every episode, because we love the game so very much, we give an account of something interesting that has happened to us, in-character, out-of-character, basically anything that's happened in the game or related to Final Fantasy XIV in general.
0: And so much has been going on.
1: That's right, it's been a little while since we recorded our last episode, so there's a lot of things to go on. Today, though, I would like to start off... At least, if that's okay with everybody else. Please. With the finale of the real estate saga for me. And I'm very glad that it's over. So, I have been trying to get a number of houses recently. I'm sure, as if you've been listening to our last episodes, you've heard about maybe the FC house that we managed to secure over the past couple months on Litch. And then I have been trying to move to a large in really anywhere before Stormblood and just get housing taken care of because of everything that was going on.
0: Yeah, but on Gilgamesh. But on Gilgamesh, (laughs) right.
1: And so finally I was able to, on my birthday, get a hold of a large, one of my friends who I had made while I was waiting and looking to see pretty much every hour I was losing sleep trying to figure out will a large house go up? Well, on my birthday I decided that I wasn't going to do what I usually had and sleep in pretty much hour-long chunks. It was it was terrible. I would not recommend doing that, by the way. Don't <laughs> do that. But But you really, really wanted it. I really, it. really wanted it. And so I woke up one morning on my birthday and I saw that there was a house and one of my friends had gotten a hold of it and it was a large and I was like, I know what this person's doing. They they had tended to flip houses. But What was really great is because I had made friends with this person beforehand while we were waiting on houses to pop and seeing if anything would go up. They came to me saying, I have this large. I don't want it. Would you like to have it? And I'll give it to you for 70 million gil. The low,
0: low price of 70 million gil. I mean, (laughs) that might sound
1: very, very expensive for people. But what you need to understand is on Gilgamesh, the housing market is absolutely savage. There was a story on Reddit actually pretty recently about somebody who conned another person out of their house Saying that they were going to go trade another house, and they never did it and so also in Gilgamesh Yeah, it was on Gilgamesh (laughs) people will stop at nothing to get these houses You know get back all of me go who cares we want houses so so this person uh, decided that they didn't want the large because they wanted a better location or something like that, or maybe they wanted to make more money, I don't know. But they, they ended up selling it to me for about 70 million gil, which on Gilgamesh is extremely affordable considering people want like 300 million I had seen for a goblet plot. So I now have, finally, a place where people can decorate as they would like for roleplay events or really any other event that they would like. And that was the entire intent of of getting a bigger house in the first place, was make it so that anybody can have an event. Even if they don't have an FC, even if they don't want to decorate their house or they don't have a house, they can do that now. So finally, the real estate saga is over and I do not have to worry about housing. At least until my FC decides that they want to move to a large and then I'll probably end up being <laughs> consultant there. But yeah, that that was what happened to me during the course of the week. And thankfully, you guys don't have to hear me blabber about real estate anymore.
0: (laughs) But if you're on Gilgamesh, where can we come visit the newly inaugurated Embrace Estate?
1: Yeah, so the Embrace Estate event hub is located in Goblet, Ward 2, plot 43. And you can get in touch with me, of course, by contacting me on my main character, which is Scoot-Patoot.
0: Awesome. Another very noteworthy event that's happened recently, I like to refer to as the Great Balmung Lockening. Dun dun dun. A little while back, Square Enix put out a press release that said that certain high population servers would no longer be accepting character creation at all, nor would they be accepting transfers. These servers are now locked. And as we know, the two largest servers in the North America zone by far are Gilgamesh and Balmung. Now, I don't think this made too much of an impact on Gilgamesh as someone who makes my main there. It's inconvenient, but the effects on the Bombong bon server were much, much greater. People really, really started to lose their heads because roleplayers can no longer get on the biggest roleplay hub. And for the longest time, that had been the state of affairs that, as we talked about before, in our Balmong episodes. That was the single choice that people had to make if they were really serious about doing in-game roleplay. Everybody flocked there in droves, inflating the server, and on one hand, giving it a very vibrant culture and a super active roleplay scene where you can get into any kind of scenario you want, and you have more people to RP with than you can ever hope to even talk to. Endless choices, events every day, but also a server that's extremely crowded in public places where lag is a serious problem, as is latency, and housing is essentially a pipe dream.
1: Right. So while Baomung is really a very good place for roleplay, I would say because of all the opportunities that they have, it's now closed.
0: And on the one hand, Emmy and I, as you listeners know, have always had the position that we want to see roleplay happen on every server in the game and have encouraged people to get things going no matter what server they're on that yes, transferring to Balmong is an option, but there are other options too. But now as it happens, other servers are your only option. If you're not already on Balmong, you won't get on. And it really definitely upset a lot of people. On the one hand, I was in some ways happy about it because I just think that this was inevitable. I mean, we see how much bigger the population of Balmong is, even from Gilgamesh, it's like 20%, 33% bigger. I'm not that great at math. So it really makes sense from Square Enix's perspective, really no company that does online gaming is going to want to support a server population that large. This is really an economic and technology decision for them to try to stem that flow and at least not inflict the population anymore. On the other hand, there were folks that were vehemently, rabidly against this and petitioned Square Enix to lift this ban, saying that it would kill the roleplay community saying that having one centralized hub was the only option, and even that Square Enix should go ahead and devote extra resources, specifically to Balmung, to support this enormous population. Now, Saunsi, you have your main. Your home is really on Balmung. It is. Did you see similar things happening?
2: I saw the craziest explosion in all directions (laughs) of people (laughs) running scared, I'll admit. When I first heard the news, I was we were probably about five, six hours into the lock. And I was like, oh, God, uh, what does this mean? You know, with the community stagnate. And then I was like, oh, wait, uh, this community is so big that I don't think we're going to have this problem. But there were people bailing ship immediately within 12 hours. I, I saw whole groups from <laughs> EU just <laughs> already leaving. Uh, it came with the server... Um, uh, the server change as well. So I saw a lot of people got increased latency and I think that affected a lot of people's opinions on it. So there were people who left and then others who were like, no, I'm going to stay. Baomung is the only server. It's been craziness. It really has. I don't even know how to describe it without its own like episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that's big news to us and really, really important for the roleplay community. That's all of you. However, things are in such flux right now that we want to take some time to wait and see what the long-term effects are before devoting an episode to this. And I also don't want to go ahead and name alternative servers just yet because it's just too soon and we are seeing... And we're seeing some servers pop up as greater hubs than others. But again, before making any kind of official statement, we want to give it some time. However, I will say that... Within hours of this happening, and within hours of seeing the whole internet lose their shit, I was invited to a Discord called FFXIV RP Locations Hub, which was basically to be a new community for everybody who replies on every server besides Balmon. And I'm like, this is great. This is what I've always wanted to see. I wish this happened before, but if it took Square Enix locking the server for it to happen, then hey. At least it's happening. And it's almost the kind of thing that MuseCast maybe would have done ourselves. And we had actually started to start a weekly calendar covering events on non-Balbong servers, but someone in that Discord has actually taken up that mantle and we're now supporting them and all their efforts. And I'm just really proud of the amount of activity that's come into that Discord. Even just that single group is vibrant with people from all servers. And there are definitely some servers in particular
1: that are almost starting to become the new hubs. So I believe we have one more person who still needs to tell a story today.
2: (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, that other guy. Where'd he go? I
1: don't know. Where did he go?
2: (laughs) I'm still here.
1: Yay! (laughs) On Belmont
2: server. Trapped. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm actually really jealous, one, of you getting a large house. Uh, As you said, something that's almost impossible on Balmung at this point. But my FC is still trying. We're, We're holding out hope that, hey, when people start moving to Shiragane, that a little bit of space will open up in the mist. We're hoping. We're hoping that that happens. We're hoping that people are able to find roleplay communities elsewhere and that those thrive for a little bit. Um, but I want to talk about the RP community that's still thriving on Baomeng, uh, despite all of the fear, all of the screaming and massive amounts of forums just exploding left, right, and center about people who should bail, who should not bail. There's been some great events this past week actually tonight uh event i'm really excited about is the bellworks tournament of the fury which i'll be going to shortly here it's already started mm. but they what is that they have put together they're in an Ishgardian fc uh, and they've put together kind of a medieval style tournament where they do attorney of the melee of magic there's jousting, all the, all these great things. And they have announcers, and they wind up in a Balmung's paper. I love the FC, but I also like throwing my character at these things because she's kind of a little spitfire. And I went to this uh, event a couple weeks back for their marksmanship tournament and their melee. I wanted to do joust, but I ended up missing that event. But it was a, it was a funny turnout because I showed up the year before And through events on the server, my character has kind of gotten a bit of reputation for being really good with shield bashing people and just someone you don't want to mess with. And I love that reputation. But sometimes uh, fighting with random number generators isn't the most graceful of things and it doesn't play well to your character's reputation. So in both, Events, my character got knocked out pretty quickly, and wound up in the paper, uh, and the announcers making fun of her for, hey, she was this great turnout last year, and you know she was the crowd favorite for this event, and just flunked out. What went wrong? And I was like, oh, it's like, it's like you did something really embarrassing the night before, and you wake up and it's front page of the newspaper.
0: Is that the Crystal Chronicle?
2: Yeah, that's the Crystal Chronicle. They're they a great newspaper. I, I love reading them. But then when I saw my name, or my character's name there, I was just like, oh no, this isn't good. She should not be one of the characters that's named on this page. Uh, so I'm actually excited to kind of roleplay that out later. Her picking up a newspaper and reading about that. And... Ugh just covering her face and sighing into her morning coffee. Aww. <laughs> but that's my RP story. A, a little light note to round off this kind of, you know, somber episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of cool that your character, you know, of course, is an amigan. So it relates to this episode.
0: It does. And that about wraps it up for All Amigo Part 1.
1: One of a couple, anyway. We have another episode planned, but... Who knows? There might be more.
0: Yeah, there'll be at least two, but we've been known to go over.
1: It's true. Until our next episode, though, if you want to sate your appetite for more MuseCast14, you can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on Tumblr at our website, www.musecastxiv.com. We also have a Facebook, just look up MuseCastXIV, or you can find us on Twitter at XIV, we are very creative with the names. And, if you like what you heard, and you would like to support us in some way, you can do that by visiting our website and supporting us on our Patreon page, or our PayPal page. With Patreon, you can get access to episodes before they come out, as well as bonus content. All the things that we wanted to talk about, but just didn't have the time to get to, we will be talking about with our Patreon supporters. And you can, of course, give us a one-time donation on PayPal. So go to our website and check those out if you are interested.
0: Yes, everything goes back into supporting the show and covering the costs. And any extra we get will be invested back in prizes, equipment costs, things to make your listening experience better. And thanks again to our amazing guest, Merck. Where can they find you on Tumblr and read some of these amazing lore posts?
2: Well, first off, thank you for having me. Uh excited for Stormblood. And if you are excited for the Stormblood Alamegan lore as much as I am, this whole week is going to be dedicated to Alamegan lore. I'm going to be trying to put up a post on something different about Alamego every day for the next week until early release, and then I'll be absorbed in the game. So you can read that at my Tumblr, mercmenagerie.tumblr.com, or you can talk to me in-game, games, Merc, or go to RPC and find all of my lore posts there at fantasy roleplayerscom
0: The next time you hear from us, we will be on the other side of Belsar's Wall.
1: That's right, we will be in Alamigo. Hopefully we will have uh, yes. liberated Alamigo by that point, but we'll see.
2: That's true.
0: Yeah, no pressure to finish all the MSQ in Early Access. No pressure at all. <laughs> so thank you for joining us, listeners. We will see you aboard the Stormblood Hype Train. Toot toot. Happy adventuring.
1: And see you next time. Sloppy. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Al Amigo Past, Present, and Future Part 2. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.